God, we just worship you. You are worthy of our praise this morning. You are worthy, God. I know we say it often around here, but is he not worthy? As we were, as we were singing that song, if I can get my young men to go ahead and, we're going to go ahead and make the transition. Um, thank you, worship team. You guys are telling what God is flowing through that worship team. Amen. Amen. God is, but what, what I was, as I was thinking, crown him with many crowns. Worthy is the lamb. Worthy, worthy, worthy is the lamb. Um, I just, in the book of Revelation, Sister Crystal taught on this probably a year and a half ago now, but she, all of heaven cries holy. And when they looked for one who could, the scripture, when you dive into it, it says, when they looked for the one that could take the deed of the earth, and the deed of the earth was dominion. It was that which Adam had lost. You're going to have to uh, go into the effects panel and turn the effects off. And just hit the mute button. On the, when Adam fell in the garden, there was dominion that was lost. Because what did Adam have to forfeit? Adam had to forfeit his authority. Are you following me? Adam, Adam forfeited that authority that God gave him when he fell into sin. And the authority that God gave him was that to represent or represent God to the earth. And that is what you and I now get the opportunity to do. Is that is what we are called to do. That is what uh, you're getting the end of the you're getting the end of the you're getting the end of the sermon at the very beginning. But it's all right. We, we like the journey too, don't we? Amen. But when God wanted to send redemption to the world, he sent a man. When God wanted to repopulate the world, he sent a man. He, he, in, the, in Genesis, when God wanted to save the earth and condemn the wickedness that was going on, he saved a man. And not only did he save a man, but he saved a family. And through that family, God used a family to repopulate all of the earth. God used a man. And today, God is still using men. But what we have to understand is that we are called to live separate from the world, right? How many, we, we, we have heard that, our whole, I have heard that my whole life. And I go, and, 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 and I said, how do I live separate from the world when I am still in the world? The Bible tells us that you are in the world, but you are not of the world. Because there is, there is coming a shift. We have to make a shift into not thinking that I have to. When God wanted to cosmically redeem all of the world, he sent a man. And he is still sending men and women. He is still sending Churches. He is still creating movements. He is still, when he wants to visit his people on the earth, does he not use men and women of God? Men and women that are after his heart. Men and women that want to represent the kingdom to the world. So when we talk about wanting to live, we are in the world, but we are not of the world. That means that we are not of the system of this world. We've talked about it, I think it's in Luke chapter 3, no, John chapter 3. 
John's the weird prophetic gospel that I like so much, where he says, who is a man of the spirit? A man, nobody knows where he comes from or where he goes. So what if where he comes from is a heavenly realm where nobody knows what to do when people start saying, when people open up their mouths and they start praying and authority flows because we are so used to impotent leaders praying impotent prayers. We, and and that instead of having leaders that are cultivating a relationship with God, so when they open their mouth, heaven flows from their lips. They, they're, they're not mixing their words. They're not getting caught up in the lies and the pettiness and the things of this world. When they open their mouth, their truth flows from heaven into the earth because they are not representing a system of the world unto God, but they are of God, representing God to a fallen world, praying that in Romans chapter 8, I believe it is, it says that the world is groaning and travailing. The world is crying out. The cosmos, not just the people of the world, but the physical planet and stars themselves are crying out and groaning for the manifestation of ones that are not of this world. They are of another world. Yes. yes. And we have got to come out of agreement that we are of this world. Absolutely. Amen. That's free. That's not my sermon. But could we, could we, I, I saw, I mean, I, I, throughout the week, I listened to so many sermons and I listened to, and I read so many quotes and different things. And so I'm just, I've always got stuff, I've always got stuff flowing, right? And some of it's good and some of it, you know, you just take it with a grain of salt and move on. But one of the quotes I saw this week was that, I don't remember what it was, I guess it wasn't important. There we go. We talked about that yesterday, didn't we, Brother Mike? Yeah, that fell off that edge of that cliff, and I don't know where it came from, and I don't know where it's going. And we're going to go to Hebrews, the 10th chapter. Let's jump into a little bit of teaching this morning. This morning, I am preaching, teaching, whatever happens, on the authority of the church. Because I believe that the church in an effort to maintain relevance, has lost her authority. And when we were supposed to be saying, thus saith the Lord God of heaven, we've been using carnal means to win carnal people, and we have lost the authority that God gave unto his church to what? See a planet be a cosmic re- identification come in to alignment because I'm telling you there is coming a new heaven and a new earth amen yes amen. there is coming a new heaven and a new earth and I'm just gonna roll my sleeves up right now before we get here before I get into this because I'm already thinking about man I'm hot I know Howard's cold he's got his coat on I'll turn the heat up for him Hebrews the 10th chapter we're going to read verses 23 through 25. It says this. I'm reading out of the New King James this morning. It says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, 
but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. And let's go ahead and read verse 26. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there is no there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which we which will devour the adversaries. Heavy. So I'm going to start off with this question. A little bit more of a teaching this morning, and we'll, I mean, maybe. We'll see what the Lord does. What is the purpose of the corporate gathering of the saints? What, why do we come to church, and why is it important? Now, I understand that I am preaching to the choir this morning, because y'all are the faithful ones that are here every week, you know what I mean? I, I know who I'm preaching to this morning. But I still think it is important that we all understand the reason why. Why are we coming here? And what are we coming into the house of God to do? And according to Hebrews chapter 10, let me back this up a little bit. So I think the reason, I believe wholeheartedly that the reason that we come into church is to worship God and learn scripture. If we go all the way back to when God initiated fellowship with man and he initiated the worship in the temple, or even before that, God made the first sacrifice with Adam in the garden and showed them the way of fellowshipping with him, which was through the blood of sacrifice. Now, we know on the other side of the cross that we no longer have the fellowship with the blood and the bulls of goats, but we have the one true high priest, Christ Jesus, who is making intercession for us daily in daily in the throne room of heaven he is there he is and, and so we don't have to come into the worship service afraid that we have messed up completely and that we have to go out and find an animal and kill it or God is going to strike us down now I, I say all that to say that there should be some fear and there should be some reverence in the house of God but I also would submit to you that the, you are the house of God you are the temple of God so oftentimes we get caught up in our traditions and nobody will wear a hat in the sanctuary of God, but you have no problem watching half-naked people on the television. What you allow in your temple is what you allow. Why do you act any differently in your temple than you do in the house of God? If it's not good enough for the pastor to do, why is it okay for you to do? Let me just drop that and run. So what is the purpose? The purpose is to worship God and to learn scripture. If we want to get all the way back to the time of the Babylonian exile where you get the book of Isaiah and Jeremiah and, and most of the prophetic books of the Old Testament, you would learn that that is where in that Babylonian exile when they could not come to the temple to worship, that is where the synagogue model of worship came from. But So they started meeting in homes mm -hmm. and they started meeting in local fellowships. And they started coming together and not around a certain set of doctrines that they believed, but around scripture. And what they did is they trained their children. They made them memorize scripture. Jewish history tells us that a person by the time they were 12 years old would have been able to have memorized the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers. They would have them memorized. Why? Because they didn't have ready access to Bibles like we do that they could pull the scripture 
figure out. So when Paul is writing the New Testament scripture and Peter is writing the New Testament scripture, that is why you see them pull out and they say, in the prophets, they said this, and this is the explanation of it. Now, whenever you talk about New Testament synagogue worship, man, I, I, I got that New York thing going on today. I'm talking, I feel like, I feel like I'm auctioneering in my sermon today, but that's all right. We'll move forward. It's a hot, hot. Anyways, so we move into the synagogue style of worship where people don't, they go to the temple when they have to, but they meet together corporately. And so whenever we get into the New Testament church, the, the church of Acts, we see that that is the model that they carried out. They carried out the synagogue model and they still went to the temple. They still went to the synagogues. They, and anytime you would see Paul begin to start teaching, he would first go into the synagogue of the city because he was first called to the Jew and then called to the Gentile. So he always went to the people of God, and when the people of God rejected the new thing that God wanted to do, he then went unto the Gentiles. He who has ears to hear what I just said, pay attention. When the people of God reject what God wants to do, he goes into the highways and the byways in the parable of the great wedding feast, and he says, compel them to come in. Get them into, not the church, but get them into a life-saving wedding hall banquet with Christ Jesus. Somebody know what I'm talking about? Because it ain't all on the pastor. It is not all. It is not my responsibility to get everybody saved. It is my responsibility in the role of the pastor, according to scripture, to equip you because you're a saint, right? You're the saints of God, right? It is my job to equip you to do the work of ministry. So the purpose of our corporate gatherings is to come together and glorify God and be equipped to do what God has called you to do. Amen. That is what we are here to do. And I am and now now let's move forward in this because the next the thing that he, he says in Hebrews is that in verse number 24 he says and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Now, in, in my Christian Standard Bible, which is where I do most of my reading for all, I, I flip between the New King James and the Christian Standard. That word stir up is not is translated as provoke. Mm -hmm. Now, we have a good example in this church, and every one of you know exactly what I'm going to talk about. And Chris, I'm going to use your kids as an example. I'm going to use my kids. We're going to work with you. Welcome to hanging out with the pastor. You used his examples and sermons. All right. How many know that Nathan... Likes to provoke Tyler. And Tyler will provoke Cody. And they will cause a rise out of one another. And then you might hear a few things. And next thing you know, somebody's coming, Mom, he hit me. Or worse. Or worse. That's just, you know. <clears throat> Why? Because there was a provocation. There was something that somebody did that they didn't like. And so when we talk about how do we provoke, now this word provoke is called, it is, could be translated as encouragement. Ah. <laughs> or it could be translated as sharp disagreement. Anybody ever had a sharp disagreement with your spouse? Oh, wait. Anybody ever had a... <laughs> 
And, I, and all the smart men are going, mm -hmm. <laughs> Have you ever had a disagreement with somebody that involved an exchange of words? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, we all have. So, <laughs> I didn't what you say. So what's some volume? Some of them, Mike. I can't imagine you ever having volume. I mean, you're just, you're just. He's the calmest guy I know. If he starts yelling, boy, I'm running. I'm just saying. Like, anyways, it means a sharp disagreement. It means to come into a strong disagreement. Can you imagine coming to church and having people? Provoke you to love. Could you imagine coming into church and having the eldership and the appropriate authority and moving by the word of God saying that's not love? And I am going to stir you up. I am going to provoke you. And I am not going to allow you to stand in any place other than love. So I am going to provoke you. I am going to stir you. I'm going to make you mad. Until you understand that it's love. Because I use this example. I love this example. Because how do we show love? We can show love. I can come to my wife and I can console her. I can go, hey, baby, I love you. You're the greatest thing since sliced bread. But if my child is running towards the road and they don't know that there is a semi barreling down there and they're oblivious because they're walking on their phone, if I go and I tackle that young man and I say, stop, is that not showing love? Why? Because sometimes we have got to learn in the church that just because we disagree doesn't mean we have to break fellowship. Because if husbands and wives, how many times have you had a disagreement and you say, you know what, this is it, I'm done, I've had it, I quit, I want a divorce. If you wanted a divorce every time that you had a disagreement, wouldn't, I mean, I mean, you wouldn't stay married very long, would you? But oftentimes people, and I have experienced this so much in my ministry because I bring such a strong word most of the time. And I, I don't know why people see me as a little bit gruff and I'm really just a big teddy bear. Except for my son who probably disagrees with me most. I don't know. Anyways. But anyways, that reminds me of a rabbit trail. I'll tell that story later. I, I had... We were in basic training, and one thing you don't do is you don't mess with the drill sergeant. So we had this kid go in and go, they, they brought us in and they said, what is the most, um, what's the thing, that, you know, what's your misconceptions about basic training? And this one kid stood up and he said, I thought the drill sergeants were going to be real mean. My drill sergeant's a big old teddy bear. <laughs> you can imagine the, the, the looks and the exchanges that were glanced and the words that were said after that, and I'm going to move on. Anyways. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I just wondered how many brain cells he had up there if I'll be real honest with you. But anyways. Oftentimes when church stuff happens, we come into what? A sharp disagreement. We come into a disagreement with certain things. And, and trust me, y'all have been here. Y'all, I mean like, y'all know. 
There are sometimes there are things that happen and we are all imperfect people. We are all people that are learning. We are all people that are growing, including the pastor, including people on the, on the leadership team. And oftentimes we can come into a sharp disagreement with one another. But we have to remember, are we going to love one another enough to say, you know what? I don't agree with you on this point. I don't, I did not like the way you felt about that. And are we going to be willing to be men and women of God and have enough backbone to stand up and say, listen, pastor, I really didn't appreciate that. Or listen, brother and sister, I really didn't appreciate that. However, I want us to walk in unity going after the same thing, after the same vision. And so I am going to be willing to say, you know what? I am going to put this disagreement to the side. I am going to say, I am going to forgive you. And we're going to be able to walk forward in unity in the same way that we do in our, or we are supposed to be doing in our marriages. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because if we will throw away, but people so often throw away churches like they throw, like they would, I don't know if they threw away spouses, like they throw away churches. Yeah. You don't get what I'm trying to say. Come on now, yeah. But sometimes disagreement comes so that it can stir us up and provoke us to do what God has called us to do. I put a thing on Facebook the other, yesterday that said, if it were not for the persecution that came upon the church, they never would have left Jerusalem. If it were not for the persecution, Paul never would have ended up in prison and the Philippian jailer may never have gotten saved. If Paul had never been shipwrecked on an island, he would never have seen the thing. He would never have seen the island of Malta get saved. You see, because there are certain things that we have to remember that we're not always going to agree. We're not always going to get along, but God will use it. If we will allow him, God will use disagreement to bring refinement. And God will use disagreement to refine you in the area of love and good works. When and the thing of it is, is we've got to remember that we have to come together. And when we come together, Sometimes our ugliness comes out because when we are hurt, hurt people hurt people because oftentimes we see that we, we see through the lens of our hurt and we see certain people acting some sort of way. So Sarah's rubbing off on me. We see people that they will act a certain way, yet they will not. And, and we will interpret that as them wanting to do us harm, yet that is not their intention at all. And we have to remember that we have to put aside our issues and we've got to look at them and we've got to say, okay, where are we at? Where are they coming from? Now, they may be genuinely out to hurt you and you may need to get some brothers and sisters and go deal with the thing. Mm -hmm. See what I, you know what I mean? But if we allow this, but if we allow Division to creep into the church, we always end up isolated. And if you end up isolated, you end up in hurt. You have a tendency to end up believing things that are wrong about Scripture. Why? Because if I were to live in a vacuum chamber, an echo chamber, they say, and the only voice I ever hear is the voice of affirmation, then we miss things that we we miss things that we may not, <laughs> we miss things. I'm just going to end that statement there because I don't know how to finish it. 
If we always listen to an echo chamber, that's why when you start talking about politics, now preachers are going to start talking about politics. If you all you do is you listen to the Republicans, you're never going to hear what the other side is saying. And if all you do is listen to the Democrats, you're never going to hear what the other side is saying. Because we, we insulate ourselves with these echo chambers because we don't want to deal with the issues at hand. And sometimes it takes a, a crazy little preacher boy that grew up here, that went and, and lived in the islands of near in the great state of New York for 10 years and came back and was in the army and it takes a little bit of a gruffness to say listen, it's time to wake up and stir ourselves to love sometimes it takes somebody coming into sharp disagreement with the way things have always been Yes, yes. because when you are isolated, you are vulnerable to attack you are vulnerable when you are isolated when we had we had a we had a calf earlier this year that was never never wanted to stay with the herd. He he, he I don't know I don't know, I don't know why he just never wanted he just never wanted to stay with the herd. Every time we'd go out to feed, he was always out doing his own thing. He would never come, and the rest of the cows would come. He was always isolated and alone. And there were many times this year we had to go out and look for that calf. Why? Because we didn't know where he was, and we knew that if he was isolated, he was vulnerable to predators. He was vulnerable to illness. He was maybe he was in a ditch. Maybe he was lost. Why? Because he's not with the rest of the crowd. For picking up what I'm putting down, and oftentimes we do that ourselves. We get hurt, we get isolated, and we get alone, and we say, listen, I'm just going to do Jesus at me and my house, and that's what, I don't need the church, and you are absolutely right, you don't have to come to church to worship God, in fact, I hope you are worshiping God at home, but the reason that we have to come to church, the reason that we have to assemble ourselves, the reason that we have to be about around like-minded people is so that they can encourage us, so that they can drag us along, so that they can pick us up, and they can, and that they can, they can stir us up, they can provoke us to love. They can, in, in the areas that we're struggling, they can stir us up. They can provoke us. They can encourage us. They can push us. Why? Because everything that we do, everything in the kingdom is based on relationship. Because Jesus said, and I've said it, I'm going to say it again, I'm going to keep saying it. How Will my, how will they know that you are my disciples? They will know that you are the disciples of God by the way that you love one another. So the reason that we come into church is to provoke one another. The, reason, the other reason that he gives here is to exhort one another. To exhort means to encourage, console, and urge. This morning I am exhorting you to come into fellowship with one another. I am exhorting you. I am urging you. I am pleading with you and I am begging you to say, if you are, if you feel isolated, come in from the cold. If you feel like you don't belong, maybe there's a thinking thing that says, maybe I need to deal with that. If you have come into sharp disagreement with somebody and it is not rectified, maybe today is the day that you say, listen, we're going to deal with this thing because I'm tired of feeling awkward every time you walk in the door. But he who has you to hear him. <laughs> so we are called to provoke one another. We are called to exhort one another. 
Why? Because, let's just read it out of the Bible. Verse 24, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. For if we, and then this thought, verse 26 is tied right to this, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves. For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment. Why must we come together? We must come together to exhort one another, to encourage one another, not just for the pastor and the worship team to do it, but for us to do it of ourselves, for us to encourage one another. Because listen, I'm 35 years old and I don't understand what it means to be 70 and have great grand and have kids and great grandkids. I, and grand, I, I don't, I don't understand that. But there are others in this church that do. And so we have to come into a realization. We have to come into an understanding and agreement that we are not here. You are not here just for me to minister unto you, but you are here to minister one to another. You are here to encourage one to another. It is not just about having a relationship with me, but it is about having a relationship with one another. Why? So that we don't fall into sin and the judgment of God. But often, too often times, I've said it before, I'm going to say it again today, just it bears repeating. We fear the judgment of man more than we fear the judgment of God. Because, let, don't raise your hand unless you want to, I ain't going to make you. But how many times have we come into the house of God dealing with an issue, but afraid of what the church people are going to think about me because I'm dealing with this. And so the one place that we should come to be comforted, the one place that we should come to be exhorted, the one place that we should come to be provoked to not sin is the one place where we come and we make and, and, and people feel like they have to put on a mask because what are they going to think about me? And am I going to lose my ministry? And is the pastor going to talk bad about me? And is all of this going to happen? Does anybody have any idea what I'm talking about this morning? Does anybody know where, what, where, because why? Because we have this idea that has been put out that we have to be holy and we absolutely have to be holy. But you know my stance on this. We cannot be holy outside of being made whole in the presence of God. Holiness without wholeness will always result in legalism and feeling like you can't measure up because guess what? You can't measure up. Exhorting one another to not sin. Now, let's move on. I got one more question. 
Well, are we good? Is everybody, everybody, everybody good with me? The next question I have is where does the church get her authority? Because we know the purpose is to come together. But I have been, but we have taught and we are teaching and we will continue to teach that the church has authority. You have authority. But the Bible also teaches a principle that says you may be good on your own, but you're better together. Okay? If one can put a thousand in flight and two can put 10,000 to flight, how many can three? How many can 25? That's right. A one-stranded cord is great, but a three-stranded cord is better. Why? There's a principle that we are stronger, we are better together. But we have to make sure that we are moving together as, as one. Does that, now, when we talk about unity, oftentimes I think we think that everybody has to believe the same thing, think the same thing, dress the same way, and do exactly the same thing. But that's not unity, that is uniformity. That is what the army promotes, that they want you to look exactly identical to one another. But you see, God has made you special. God has made you exactly the way he wanted you to be so that you could carry out his glory and his goodness in the earth. So the uniqueness of our assignment is that we all get to be who God has made us to be in him. Okay? And when we walk in unison, we are walking and we are going after the same thing. So if we are going after the same thing, what then are we going after? So let's go back to this question. Where does the church get its authority? And we're going to go to Matthew chapter 28. This is a familiar, this is a familiar passage of scripture. And I'm going to start reading in verse number 18. And it says this, and Jesus came and spoke to them, them being the disciples, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So the first thing that we have to understand is that the church, the body of Christ, has no authority of her own. We do not have the legal right to do whatever we want. Because who has the authority? Go 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 back go back one verse for me, Nathan. All authority. Now, every time we see all in the Bible, all means all, and that is all. All means it means all. It means every. It means every authority has been placed in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. All authority has been given unto Him. The church has no authority. Of her own. Now, now, now that's kind of that's kind of an odd thought, isn't it? When we're talking about the authority of the church, there is no authority in the church except that which Christ delegates to his bride. Following me? All authority is based on relationship. My wife has authority to make legal transactions in my name. Why? Because she is married to me. If 
following me? She can do business on my behalf because she is in intimate relationship with me. The bride can do transactions on behalf of the king only when she is in right relationship with God. So I think sometimes we have tried to access things in the church without having the requisite amount of intimacy with God. And if we get into what he wants us to get into without intimacy, that will lead us into thinking that we have something to do with the breakthrough when it has nothing to do with me and it has everything to do with him. He is the one that does the work. He is the one that does everything. And if I am in intimate relationship with him, I am going to then hear his voice and I am going to see his identity and I am going to become like him and then I am going to like the moon represents the sun in the darkness of night. It has no light of its own but it only reflects that light of the sun. In a dark time period I am able to reflect the light of the sun and say it is not me that they see but it is Christ Jesus living on the inside of me and all of my authority comes not from my human effort, not from my fasting, not from my praying, not from my anything. It all comes from intimacy with him. So then what does our fasting and our prayer and all of that have to do with it? All of our fasting and prayer is all about being conformed into him and getting into a deeper, more intimate relationship with him. So when we fast, we're not fasting for breakthrough. We're fasting to become more like him. When we when we pray, we are not, we are praying, we are interceding, we are asking things of God, but we are not we must be conformed into his image. You following me? Because if I fasted enough for the breakthrough, then it was on me. If I prayed enough for the breakthrough, then I did it. But if I walk in relationship and communion with God, I inherit authority. I inherit the kingdom of God. You following me? You picking up what I'm putting down? All authority belongs to Christ. The body of Christ must submit to her bridegroom and without bridal status. We have no authority on the king's behalf. Now, we to talk about bridal status, we have to understand that when they wrote this about being the bride of Christ, we were in a completely different thinking on marriage and on courtship and on dating and everything else. Because when the, when the father would arrange for the bride, for the son to be wed to a bride, they would, the son would come and they would have a ceremony and then they would both go to their separate houses. And the son would prepare a place for the bride in the father's house. So when Jesus looked at his disciples and said, lo and behold, I go to prepare a place for you. <laughs> know what I'm talking? You know what I'm talking about, right? I go to prepare a place for you. Jackson, don't do that. You're making the camera all wobbly when you do that. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. Okay. 
And it is, he uses the imagery of a Jewish wedding ceremony. He says, we are wed. Calvary sealed the deal. Now I am going away. and You're going to have to stay in this world for a little while. But behold, I am coming back to get you when the time is ready, when the place is prepared. But they were still legally married. That is why in the story of Jesus, we see that they had not yet done the process to make a child. And so that's why it's such a big deal. Because they are married. Yet they had not been intimate. So when God says, so when Joseph hears that she is pregnant, he goes, I will give her a certificate of divorce, yet they were not living together. Following me? It's the same picture of bridal identification, that we have every legal right to be in the king's house, yet he is, and he is coming for us. And we are, as the body of Christ, married to him. And because we are married to him, we are able to do transactions and represent his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? Amen. Amen. So if all of so everything, all authority belongs to Christ and the Christ, but we have to submit unto him, and we submit, and he then gives us a requisite amount of authority to do transactions on his behalf. Anybody remember the parable of the talents? The king was going a ways off and he gave unto his servants. Some he gave 10, some he gave five, some he gave three. And then some couple different, different books say three, some say one. But the church is given a, a number of gifts. You are given a number of gifts and the bride is given a number of gifts and the king leaves. The bridegroom leaves. And when he returns, he will take an account of what we have done with what he has given us. You follow me? You pick it up what I'm putting down. All right, we're here. So let's move forward. I'm almost done. Well, I got three more points to go. I got two more points to go. Go. So he says, all authority has been given to me on earth. And then he says, he tells his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations. Go means to travel. Go means to get out of where you are and go someplace else. It means to Leave, go, travel, go into Judea, Samaria, and then Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. By that time, I, I teach you on Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. You're in your Jerusalem, all right? But we have to be willing to go and do what? We have to be willing to go and make disciples. Amen. What does making a disciple have to do with anything? So in, that, in the day that they were living, disciples were made by rabbis. Rabbis would come in and they would teach school. And then at a certain age, they, you, were either, you were either determined that you were smart enough to go be a rabbi or you were you just needed to go off and do what your daddy did. Okay? That's just the way it was. So if you did good in school, you got to go be a teacher. And if you didn't do good in school, you had to go do whatever your daddy did. Whether you liked it or not. Anyways, there we go. So, but these teachers then would make disciples and those disciples would... In turn, they, what they would do is they would begin to look like their teacher. They would begin to dress like their teacher. They would memorize scripture. They would preach the same thing that their preachers, that their, that their teachers preached. And they would, in, in their whole lives, they would 
turn them into disciples and they would turn them into miniature versions of themselves. So what Jesus is telling his disciples is I want you to go and make little versions of me. That's right. I want you to go and I want you to teach them the same things I taught you. And I want you and that's so so that is why Paul in in one of his letters he says follow me as I follow Christ. He come out of a strict Pharisaical, rabbinical tradition, and he said, Follow me, pattern your lives after my life, and I am going to pattern my life after Christ's life. You follow me, and I'm going to follow him. And if we would learn that we have to make people disciples, but the church is not designed to make, the church was never designed to make the disciples, you were made to make the disciples. And then bring them together so that we can provoke one another to love and bring them together so that we can encourage one another. So whenever we say that everyone is called into ministry, you are called into ministry. You are called into the ministry of reconciliation. Now, I don't have time to go there. I've got a whole nother sermon on that. and I can't remember if I preached that here yet or not. But anyways, we have to go and we have to make disciples using the authority of intimacy. Amen. Here's my conclusion. All right, everybody ready? Long and hard. I thought I didn't want to think too hard on this. The purpose of the church is to be a place where we can come together and encourage, exhort, and provoke one another to good works. Sending out ones who have authority based on proper identification to disciple people and bring them into the church. So while I love seeing people get saved at the altars, I am looking forward to hearing about people getting saved at your dinner tables. And I am looking forward to hearing the testimonies of how Sister Wanda invited me over for dinner and she began to pray and she just laid her hands on me and I got up and I started walking around. Or how Brother Dwayne back there invited somebody from work and as he's sitting in his car on his lunch break and they go, what are you doing? He said, I'm just praying. Let me tell you about this Jesus that turned my life around. You see, we are all called to make disciples. And if we will take our mandate seriously, there, literally the sky is the limit of what this body of believers can do. Amen. Amen. I encourage you, I provoke you. Let's do the kingdom work this week. And let's live. Anyway, I'm gonna shut up or I'm gonna keep preaching. I'm I'm done. I don't have anything else to say. I don't know what to say. Let's pray. I don't know what else to say, so let's pray. Father God, we come before you right now, God. God, I just thank you. I thank you for this day. God, I thank you for this church. God, I thank you for where you have. God, I thank you for the struggles that we've been in. God, I thank you for the fight that we've had. God, I thank you for everything that you have brought to us. And so, God, I pray over this church, God, I pray a blessing. I pray, God, that you would give the people of this church eyes to see and ears to hear what you are saying to them. That God, you would watch over, that you would keep us, that God, you would 
begin to show us the opportunities that we have to witness about the goodness and the glory of God. That God, we, we may not all, God, that we may not all have a, a, a called spot of a, 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 the title of an evangelist, God, but you have called us all to share and glow in the glory of intimacy. And through that intimacy, God, we will begin to see salvation come to this territory that you have assigned us. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. 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 Love you, church. God bless you. Um, huh? No. Anyways. Happy Super Bowl. You're out.